one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule and of course the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, to Flushing Meadows, and to day four of the US Open. It is Pride Day at the US Open. It is Pride Night at the US Open. It is an absolutely beautiful night in New York tonight. It's just completely perfect. There's a real buzz around the place. Everything is just set completely fair, and we've had just an awesome day of tennis watching and we're going to analyze all of it in part one then we're going to go and watch the night session and we're going to analyze all of that in part two but before that we have some very exciting news for you as you know if you've been listening to our us open podcast the tennis podcast throughout this fortnight is brought to you in partnership with ao travel who operate the travel program for the first Grand Slam of the calendar year, the Australian Open. AO Travel can take care of your flights, premium accommodation, tournament tickets and behind-the-scenes experiences, including the all-new AO Travel Lounge, which overlooks Rod Laver Arena and Grand Slam Oval and is exclusively available for AO Travel guests. Now, get this, to celebrate the launch of the AO Travel Lounge, one lucky tennis podcast listener is going to win an AO Travel premium lounge package for themselves and a friend to visit the Australian Open in style next January. The winner will receive two return economy flights to Melbourne from their nearest airport. I'm assuming nearest international airport, but who knows. Tickets to Rod Laver Arena Tennis over the middle weekend of the Australian Open for two people and three nights accommodation at the five-star Pullman on the Park Hotel in Melbourne as well as two-day access to the luxurious AO Travel Lounge. I have stayed myself many a time at the Pullman on the Park. It is the most well-located hotel for a tennis event in all of history. It is... It's a walk through a delightful park away from not only um, the Rod Laver Arena, but also the MCG, if you fancy a bit of cricket as well. It's an incredible prize, folks, and you can enter the prize draw today by clicking the link provided in your show notes or in our newsletter. And I've said it a thousand times, if you're not subscribed to that newsletter, what are you doing with your life? You have until Monday, the 18th of September, 
at 11.59 New York time to enter. Terms and conditions apply, but I think we can all agree that one lucky tennis podcast listener is going to win very, very big courtesy of AO Travel. And I can, that tippy tappy sound is that of David Whitaker entering that competition. <laughs> uh, now then, to Matters New York. And I would like to start with Court 17 and a match whose latter stages we all just watched together, featuring 2016 champion Stan Wawrinka, who has become the oldest man to reach the third round of the US Open since David. Oh, I don't know. You can get this. Your man. You can get this. Well, usually my man is Artifice, and that can't be right. <laughs> when you think US Open, who do you think of? When you think Old Stephen Ma- Edberg? Old Pete Man. Pete Sampras. No, oh, David, no, David, David. Well. Jimmy Connors. There we go. <laughs> since I Jimmy, got there. Since Jimmy Connors <laughs> in 1991. Is it really? That's amazing. What a I privilege that I was didn't to be know, I didn't know that stat was in the offing when we were sat there watching I wasn't really thinking about Stan's age while we were watching it I was thinking mostly about his backhands um, and just the general vibes that he creates on a court I mean that was the perfect court for him of course he's a former champion he there's you could make a strong case that he merits a bigger court but he loved it out there it was absolutely it was just the perfect intersection of time of day temperature crowd player circumstance but with apologies here to Thomas Martin Echeverry who who made it a really competitive match and he's a lovely player got really just really nice technique no huge weapons but a nice player to watch but he was he was an extra in the Stan Marinka show and you couldn't not be drawn into it could you? Yeah, it was it was really special being out there. I I saw that stat come up as a potential earlier in the day for John Isner, because if John oh. Isner had had got to the third round, he would have been the oldest since Jimmy Connors in in 1991. But then Stan Wawrinka has nipped in there and managed to get the stat himself. And yeah, just all while I was watching that, I was thinking Stan just still finds this all quite amusing, like. <laughs> There was a there was a guy at the side of the court who was I don't know whether he was coaching him or pumping him up and Stan was having a little conversation with him at one point when he uh, thought he'd hit an ace on on match point and the and the crowd started celebrating prematurely he had a little laugh to himself and I was like yeah this guy's still enjoying it and then the post match scenes happened and That's... I was like oh okay yeah I, I read that right he is he's definitely still enjoying this so yeah, he got much. A, he got a hug didn't he. Yeah. That guy, uh, the post-match scenes out there. It was it was total luck that we all ended up being there courtside for this. Literally on the front row, the press seats on Court 17 are a dream. I, I've never seen anything quite like that. I I loved this moment so much. It was Stan Wawrinka uh, pulling off a moment of sort of orchestra conductor meets children's entertainer. <laughs> Um, he he's, he's signed some tennis balls. He signed the match balls, as is customary on the, the bigger courts here, to hit into the crowd. But, I mean, talk about milking the moment in the most amazing possible way. This went on for about five minutes, and he was 
pointing to the four corners of the crowd, demanding that they make noise and giving the balls to who he deemed was making the mo- most noise. But, you know, he was he was just pointing. It was it was this really we need to go back to Wimbledon and for this to be a video <laughs> podcast for me to really truly capture this yes but we need our crowds so we, we, we need it. a crowd so we can point it was literally point way point way and god he milked it and loved it and it was awesome it was just one of those organic grand slam moments and it was so special and i think his demeanor his behavior made me understand what it is that andy murray is doing out here all this time um Stan Wawrinka's kind of got it and he wants the same and he might be doing it without a metal hip but he's an, you know, he's an old man in tennis terms and he doesn't need to be out there financially he doesn't need to be out there legacy wise either he, he just loves it and he's trying to wring out every last drop of it and I think he's, he's realised how finite and how temporary this career is and, and it's, I mean any moment now it could end you know any like in terms of a match or his or his body could give way I mean I I always think back to when Roger Federer played Andy Murray in Scotland and 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 Roger Federer was was totally unable totally able to move properly and Andy Murray couldn't and here's Andy Murray now unable to you know he's out there and Roger Federer can't play anymore and you never know quite when your body will give way and and Stan is is just making the most of it and his body is standing up and his technique was standing up and he's beaten a proper player today in a Grand Slam match I mean that's I think it's a fantastic win but you're right anyway he was the, the look in his face it's like alright Stan I think we've done enough of this now but he couldn't get enough of it <laughs> oh I wasn't thinking okay Stan we've done enough of this now I would still be out there now if uh, I if felt really on. sorry for the side of the court that didn't get a ball Did I thought they, it, they were a bit they were substantially quieter though <laughs> yeah, well yeah full respect to Stan I thought he was going to even it up but he was like nope you're not sharing loud enough you are not getting a ball yeah it was I had I had quite a lot of Andy Murray's words from various press conferences past ringing in my ears as we were watching Sam Varinka out there I had sort of the the slightly haunting sound of him saying I know that nothing will ever replace this in my head that's that's why Sam Varinka is still out there that's why Andy Murray is putting his body through what he's putting it through only to come up so incredibly short as he did today against Grigor Dimitrov and we'll talk about that in a moment but there, it's it's both a joyous thing that they're still out there rinsing everything they possibly can from their careers with absolutely no promise of it meaning anything other than moments, moments like that that we just saw from Stan Andy Murray hasn't really had any of those moments this tournament, but he's had them this year for sure. But there's something quite tragic about it as well, isn't there? In in the long run, they're doing it because sooner rather than later, they won't be able to replicate that. There won't be anything to replace it in their lives. So Andy Murray then. Well, I was just going to say, Stan Wawrinka versus Yannick Sinner well, in the next round. Like that's, that's sign me up. Delicious prospects. I, I, I think Wawrinka could have won that match in straight sets today against Echeverry. He got tight, really tight in the second set tie break, and that 
allowed Echeverry to win it. But I still think it's important that Wawrinka didn't get dragged into a like really colossal five set match before he goes up against Sinner. He needs he needs all the he needs all the diesel in that tank mm. to be able to take on Sinner, who has looked very good through two rounds. You know, remember at Wimbledon we talked about how he had an, he had an easy draw at Wimbledon, Yannick Sinner. But there were still some matches before he played Djokovic where he dropped sets. You know, I remember him losing a set to Galan and Safulin and ju- just a yeah. few. And here he's been, he's played actually tougher opponents. He's played Sonigo and Hanfman, who ranking-wise are probably some of the tougher non-seeds that you could get. And he's just dismissed them. And I'm just interested whether, because, you know, Stan Wawrinka's been and done it at slams and Sinner hasn't yet and whether Wawrinka can bring that experience to bear will be fascinating but I feel like Wawrinka does need does need time on the ball to set up those big strokes and he, he had that a bit against Echeverry and Sinner I think will be able to rush him and take the ball earlier so it's a it's a fascinating match from so many different perspectives and yeah I think I think it's going to be a hell of a watch in in a couple of days' time. I'm interested in whether Sinner can withstand the the force of personality mm. of Stan Wawrinka because you know, that's not Yannick Sinner's vibe, is it? I know once or twice in Italy we've seen him conduct the crowd a little bit, but... He's going to be the straight man out there, isn't he's he? He's going to be the straight man, and that's going to be the Stan Wawrinka show. But equally, for it to be the Stan Wawrinka show, the tennis needs to be there if it... He needs to get if it close at least, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, but, uh, but if it is close, then Wawrinka the can bring his force mm. to bear. I think. Yeah. Fascinating. I, ju- I just hope. I just hope those early stages are close. I think they need to be for that to be. That to be the occasion that that we think it could be. So Andy Murray, then. It was an uncomfortable watch, quite frankly, uh, for for anybody that's remotely invested in in the dregs of Andy Murray's career. He was so lacklustre today, did not look at the races at all, was unable to put Grigor Dimitrov under any pressure at all. And that's the play with Dimitrov, right? We've all seen him in practice looking like the best player in the world still. He has to feel under pressure in a match, and I just don't think he he really did at any point today in in Andy Murray's words I didn't serve very well and I didn't return very well yeah (laughs) you're onto a loser there it's I mean Dimitrov was brilliant today but but you're right the reason he was brilliant is because he was allowed to be practice court Grigor and part of that I think is because he knows what he's getting with Andy Murray and he knows he's not getting what he had maybe seven years ago from Andy Murray I mean that's the last time they played each other and I remember them playing a match here best part of 10 years ago um, and Murray absolutely crunching Dimitrov back then you know and it, and it was hyped up to the hill wasn't was a non-event and and this was him in his comfort zone I think he's been very well coached by Danny Valverde and Jamie Delgado to use that backhand slice as a as a just a, an absorber and a and a way to just diffuse rallies and it's so hard to to kind of put him away unless you've got a killer shot. And Andy Murray does, has never had a killer shot like that. He's always been somebody who grinds people down or works them out in a way. And, and he was saying in his press conference about how, you know, 
you'd, my winner count wouldn't, wouldn't be high against a backhand slice, but you're trying to put pressure on. And Grigor's played too well with that slice and too well with his movement to absorb it all and then turn it around on him. And Murray just wasn't playing well enough for that. And, and it was, um, you know, th- thinking back to like Grigor's next opponent, Alexander Zverev, who's beaten him twice this year, he was in Dimitrov's head before they even got to the court. And, and he, wasn't, he couldn't play. He couldn't play for 20 minutes. That just wasn't the case today. We, Matt and I both went to Andy Murray's press conference. You had a one-on-one with him after the match for after the press conference for BBC Radio. I'm interested in everybody's independent impressions of how they found Andy Murray because I was quite surprised by how unemotional he was. It was a very pragmatic press conference from Andy Murray he just said I really didn't play very well he said look maybe the deep runs that I thought I might be capable of at slams they might not be there which was an interesting and and revealing line but he also talked we always talk about this ordeal that he puts himself through in order to give himself the chance of moments like we've just seen Marinka have and potentially maybe one day a deep run at a slam we think of that as the sacrifice for the payoff but actually he then started to talk about it. and look it is still a sacrifice he's got he's got a young family we know it it's a wrench for him to have time away from home but he also talked about how much he enjoys that sacrifice how much he enjoys the process and feeling like he's working towards something and getting better at something like it's not just about the results for him it is also about just the purpose and the process and enjoying that and he's not going to do it for no payoff at all he said if I feel like I'm going backwards in the rankings you know having reached the highest right now that he's been since he had the metal hip in that then he will reassess but I think I thought that was a a little bit of a shift and an interesting insight. Maybe it's a shift from us rather than from him to sort of to see that process rather is the sacrifice for the reward. The process in itself is a goal. I'm so all about process, not outcome you these are. days, guys. It's become your thing. It's my thing. <laughs> Yeah, I I was really braced going into that press Mm. conference thinking we might get totally soul-searching, is it all worth it, Andy Murray. And I think the biggest takeaway that I had was was the sort of interesting tennis question that I think is thrown up a lot. And Murray sort of tackled it in response to an answer from Neil McClemon about how the fact that he was really, really gutted at Wimbledon after the Sitsipas loss because he felt like he was playing well and he felt like there was a chance there for him to go on a run beat a top you know beat a top seed and capitalise on his form and he was devastated after Wimbledon we heard about how it took him three or four days of his holiday still to be getting over that but today he just didn't play well and it it seemed to me almost like that was at the time of the press conference, it almost seemed like he was that was easier for him to accept. Like, I think in the past, when he played well, he used to win Grand Slams and he used to get to world number one. So now when he's playing well, it's such a reminder of what he's lost. 
Today was a bad day. He was flat. He was lacklustre. He was laboured. I've heard I've heard players talk a lot about how that happens more the older you get. Like it is going to happen that he is going to put in those sorts of performances. So that was kind of my takeaway after the press conference. But I must say, after listening to David's interview with him, it did feel like there was a bit more soul searching and questioning going on in that in that one-on-one that you had, David, and that and that idea that is this still worth it? Is this what I want? And I think I think that came out more in David's one-on-one than it did in in the press conference. I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually arrived halfway through the press conference and didn't hear that line about whether the runs are behind him. And so when I got into my, I didn't really, you know, you don't know quite how far to push it. And I asked him about the match and for an assessment, and and then I just said, "Have you seen enough over the last year to still retain the belief that there is a run there?" You know. And that the sort of results you want for all the effort you're putting in are on the horizon eventually. And he said, right now, probably not. And he said, at Wimbledon I felt close. And actually when I properly reflected on the event, I was close to potentially having a really good run there. But here, not. And he did say, he did use those words, I I have to have a think about the performances I've put in and the results I've been getting and whether it's worth it. You know, and I think, and I, and I, I, I then said, "Well, are you going to use the next few months to, to ask yourself that question, and as to, and as to what you're going to do next year?" And he said, "Well, to be honest, I'm doing that all the time now." He said, "It's not like I go six months or nine months and then ask myself." He says, "I'm constantly talking to my fat, to my wife, to my team, the rest of my family, as to whether this is the right thing to keep doing." And uh, so I do. Th- I mean, I do feel like after matches like that, you can sometimes get a response that m- that he may not have in three days' time. But that will have really been a gut punch for him, I think, today. And and now he's got a long wait, and now he's decided. Now he's revealed that he doesn't know whether he can get into Beijing because of the the draw cut off. He doesn't know whether he's going to play draw Davis Cup. Is apparently twenty. 20- yeah. for Beijing it's and he was gonna, he was going to play that he was going to play Davis Cup now he's not sure whether he should he, he's really he was talking himself down yeah, in terms he was of saying, uh, well, I, I, I don't qualify you know I'm not like tenable almost, I think he was trying to take the pressure off Leon Smith wasn't he because yeah. last, last time Leon year. Smith picked Andy Murray and he probably shouldn't have done really if you're taking sentimentality out of it um yeah, I mean, I, I go back to thinking about... He, he told us at Wimbledon that he has a, an end stop in mind, which I do think changes the complexion for him in terms of the sacrifice, that it's not indefinite. Mm. Um, he can adjust that end point, of course, and we'll see. That's the beauty of him never having revealed the, uh, the end point, isn't it? But, yeah... It was, a, it was a tough scene today for Andy Murray fans, but we always like to see Grigor do well. It's, it's, it's great to be able to look forward to him losing to Alexander Zverev in a third round Back again. Back it up, Grigor. <laughs> That's all we ask. I, I mean, you just... 
from his perspective, you'd just like to see him do himself justice performance-wise. If Zverev's too good for him, fine. But that's but twice is, he does. No, he hasn't. He played, he played well. It's, it's, it's the same old story, isn't it? He played well when the pressure was off against Zverev at the French Open, as I remember. Once he was behind... Yeah, once he, once exactly. he got three love down, he played well, like a well, dream. We need him to be playing like that from the start. Yeah. That would be mm. that that's would be doing himself credit. That's it. If he I loses did, it, I did that's different. Vow, it, it was that match that pushed me <laughs> over the edge with Grigor, and I vowed that I would never allow David's hype to get my hopes up again. So. I, haven't, I haven't given up. Uh, let's <laughs> wrap up a couple of other men's results from today before touching upon some. Women's results from the day session. Jack Draper, three sets for him against, albeit an extremely depleted Hubert Hurkacz. 6-2, Hubert Hurkacz clearly wasn't well during this match. Whether it was the lurgy that's going around, could be COVID. The, the lurgy, I mean, that's going around. Certainly some people around here have COVID. I don't think there's mandatory testing. Oh, in fact, I know there's not mandatory testing, but I don't know how much voluntary testing um, is happening. So it's really, really hard to know. But certainly that is a feature of the world right now and certainly New York. But Hubert Hercatch was not right. Jack Draper was incredibly impressive on the match court and in press as well. Yeah, I, d- I didn't go to his press conference, but I commentated on some of the match, and I-, I suppose I was impressed by all the things I've been impressed about with Jack Draper for the last couple of years, except that he's had such an injury-blighted year that we've not had a chance to see much of it. But today, seemingly un- unimpacted by injury I mean he did say after the, the previous match that he doesn't serve full out at the moment that he's holding something yeah. back yeah. O- he was only like, 125 yeah he was like yeah. I'm, I can still do 125 yeah <laughs> but but I mean his game is so sturdy if he wants to lock it down and just you know roll the forehand and diffuse with the backhand he doesn't do sort of slice backhand diffusing he does sort of bunting you know but he's very accurate with his depth and and a bit of a nightmare for a player who's not feeling well, like Hercatch, who was terrible. And I mean, look, I do give him a pass if he's feeling as sick as he looked. He looked terrible all the way through it, like washed out. And I, I can only imagine how unpleasant that must have felt. But Jack Draper's gone through hell the last six months. So good luck to him. He took his advantage of the, the situation and he just didn't let down. He was so interesting in press talking about what he's been through the last six months and how he said they've made me. He said they will eventually. It will eventually make me a better player, and it's already made me a better person. He talked about where he was in January of this year: semi-finals in Adelaide, career high ranking of 38 in the world, playing the doll in the first round of the Australian Open. Everyone's bigging up that match. It felt like the only way was up at that moment in his life that he was on the cusp of something and then he was scythed down by the abdominal injury against Nadal he had some good runs in Indian Wells and then got scythed down again during a or ahead of a, a, another much hyped match that he was playing against Carlos Alcaraz and okay he played some on clay played the French Open didn't he but basically since Australia it's been devastation 
for Jack Draper and he looks back already. The, the wisdom that he speaks with is quite startling, actually, for someone of his age. He said, I, I look back on myself in, in that period of time and he said, when he came from Adelaide to the Australian Open, he said, I was so stressed about the scheduling and the fact that I didn't have enough time to prepare to play Nadal and none of it was quite ideal circumstances for me to get the win. And he sort of looks back on it now and is like who who do you think you are Jack like six months on the sidelines you'd, you'd give anything to be playing any kind of match in any kind of circumstances and we've heard this plenty of times before haven't we from from players who have suffered long injury layoffs remember Andre Rublev talking about it at a similar stage of his career he suffered a stress fracture in his back and quite unusually for a male player of his age he talks about having depression during that time and it giving him a a different perspective on the sport and okay it's not that's not a new experience that he's describing there but the way that he described it I was so struck by his maturity and I really do believe if he can just get a run of fitness together he really does have the goods in in the mind and in the game. I really do believe that. I'm not saying he's Carlos Alcaraz. He's a top ten but player. But I'm saying, though, isn't he? yeah, he can he can be part of that generation. Hundred percent. With Sinner yeah. and with Alcaraz and maybe Kevin Bridges, it's it's <laughs> it's there for him. And I'm excited. I'm anxious as well because you know players whose whose body falls apart at this stage of their careers, especially when it's different body parts. You know. It, it's always a worry, but I do believe. And he plays Michael Moe for a place in the second week of the US Open. Moe having ended John Isner's career in a fifth set tie break fitting. earlier on today, which is very fitting, isn't it? With the help of Ben Shelton, Matt. Yes, that was quite amusing, actually. That I noticed towards the end of that match that Ben Shelton and, and Chris Eubanks were courtside. You know, it was a, it was a pretty big moment I suppose especially for American tennis you know potentially the final match of John Isner's career and he was two sets up Isner but it started to slip away it felt sort of feel like this could be the end Um, and Michael Moe said on the court afterwards that he was really struggling to read the John Isner serve and so he asked Ben Shelton <laughs> on the sideline, and, and then and then the sort of camera cut to Ben Shelton. He's had this huge grin on his face <laughs> as he was sitting there in his hoodie. Uh, so yeah, Michael Moe through with a with a little assist for for Ben Shelton there. And yeah, I mean how everyone said it, but just incredibly fitting that John Isner's career ended with a fifth set tiebreak, first to ten. Which, as, as, as I said the other day, I feel like only exists because of John Isner. Like, I, think it, I think we'd have got there eventually in tennis, but I really think he, he sped the process up with so many of his epics. You know, he, forced, he forced sort of rule changes to happen. Uh, and, yeah, it ended. He had a match point, but couldn't quite get over the line. And Michael Moe's sort of really impressive year continues. He's, mm. had, he's had quite a few good wins now this year. Um, Hatchinov and Isner, okay, neither at their physical peak, but th- those those are two good wins in the first two rounds of the U.S. Open. And yeah, if Jack Draper is fit, which still to me feels like an if, you know, I still feel like you don't go from 
maybe not even playing the tournament a few days ago. You said he was 70-30 on playing the tournament up right. until a couple of days before. So it there's got to be a chance that something goes or something goes wrong in the next round, but I just hope he can keep it When together. he got the injury that he got in Winston-Salem, he was in tears with his physio, just thinking this is it again. But then he had the scans, he sent them back to the UK for them to be analysed and he's anxiously waiting for the results and and he yeah the news came back that it's a tear but it's a tear that you can maybe manage but yeah what a situation note to Holger Rune definitely get scans <laughs> um some women's results from the day session to go through for you Irina Sabalenka comfortable for her against Jodie Burridge 6-3-6-2 creditable account of herself from from Burridge but a class apart from Sabalenka she plays Clara Burrell next to knocked out Karolina Pliskova today in straight sets um, just while we're very briefly on the subject of Brits amazing result for Katie Bolter 5-7-6-1 6-4 for her against Wong Yafan who had beaten Caroline Garcia in the opening round she looks so solid off the ground these days Katie Bolter I really think the match toughness is coming and she now plays Peyton Stearns the NCAA uh, champion for a place in week two of a Grand Slam. So that is a Grand Slam. That is, God, that's massive for both those two, yeah, isn't it? Two players who are both thinking that's a pretty good draw for a third round yeah. of a Grand Slam. And Katie was talking about uh, a match that they played in February, which was three tie breaks. I mean, extraordinary. Okay. Um, and, 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 and Stearns won it despite. I think uh, Bolter having 5-4 in that final set tie-break um, opportunity. But, you know, it is just a land of opportunity for those two players. And players like that, mm. this is the moment they've been waiting for. And, and they're, they're bringing it. It does feel like a step up, a step made by Katie Bolter. Mm. Like, I keep hearing this line about how it's her first third round at an overseas Grand Slam, which I sort of laughed off a little bit when I heard that. But actually... Oh. That, it, that does feel significant, it not to different. just be doing it at Wimbledon, where, you know, you've got the whole crowd behind you and, you know, you may be in the draw on a wild card and it all feels like a bit of a free hit. This, this is what we've been waiting for Katie Bolter to do, mm. to develop that much toughness that you've been talking about, to grind out a couple of great wins as she's had here. And you get, you know, you maybe get rewarded by by a good draw. Look, it's it's a tough match. Peyton Stearns absolutely took apart uh, Towson today. Towson's not happening. She's not yet. Categorically um, not happening. But yeah, I, I was I was very impressed with Katie Bolter. It does seem like she's reined in her game a little bit. Mm. Uh, the great power and forehand that we've always thought of when you. You know, when we've seen Katie Bolter is still there, just a little bit more consistent and under control and keeping it together. It was it was impressive, I thought. Marketa von Drosheva sailing under the radar, just how she likes it. Straight sets for her today against Martina Trevisan, Ekaterina Alexandrova next. Alina Svitolina keeps doing what she's been doing. At Grand Slams, we all watched her today beat Anastasia Pavlyuchenko for five seven, six four six four. In the end, was it Matt against yeah. uh, the Russian? I mean, uh, look, she, she, 
she got tight, didn't she? Several moments she today. She needed Sitalina. her double break. <laughs> yeah, she needed the double break. Um, but she is a banker these days for excitement and drama and great tennis at Grand Slam. She is absolutely compelling viewing. And I know this is just rehashing everything that we said about her at Wimbledon and the French Open, but I can't believe I'm saying that about Alina Svitolina. She is my surprise of 2023, hands down. Yeah, I've had so many moments where I've thought, did I just not give justice to the sort of first part of Alina Svitolina's career? You know, because honestly, she was a player in the draw that I would not go out of my way to watch until she would, you know, get to the quarterfinal or semi-final where you're watching absolutely every point of every match and then invariably she would lose those matches and my opinion of her was probably coloured by those but actually I think no like I think maybe there was more to, to her first part of her career than I gave her credit for but actually this this is different like it she is, is she is back as a more compelling tennis player I think and with everything that's that's happened in her life her uh, her sort of her story is is just incredibly interesting and and engaging and compelling right now too. And absolutely, she's been an incredible feature of the last three slams. Just watching her play, so many epic matches, and 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 this was another one. There was a great atmosphere wow. on Armstrong. She's such a popular player, Svitolina. Mm. She gets huge support wherever she goes. And we should say that it was also a match that went off without incident in terms of the fact that there was no handshake. You know, that was something that was a big factor of Ukrainian players playing Russians at the French Open and Wimbledon. There was booing. It was called on for the WTA, for tennis, for the slams, to do something about that. And the US Open have very much done that by just putting up some messaging on the screens. I think throughout the match, but I, I only must say I only noticed it uh, when Svitolina went to serve for the match they just said please respect the players decisions and there was a sort of recognition from the two players as they came towards the net which maybe helped as well and absolutely no booing everyone understood what was happening and the players got the appreciation that they deserved for the match that they played and it was it was a big improvement from everything we've seen at Roland Garros and Wimbledon. Such a relief when there's an easy obvious solution to a problem and it's Adopted. Yeah, well done tennis. Yeah. Well done the US Open. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to see. Svitolina against Pagula is a possible slash likely third round match. Pagula yet to play this evening, so we won't dwell too much on that other than to say it's a hypothetical yes please. <laughs> um, and I think that's probably where we should wrap up part one because there's a lot of stuff happening that we'll need to touch upon in part two, Ons Jabur is currently on court. Carlos Alcaraz, Sophia Kennan against Daria Kazakina. We'll be back to wrap up all of that in part two in just a moment's time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. And we're back, folks. We are back at Tennis Podcast Towers. ESPN is on the TV, which is more than can be said for a lot of Americans attempting to watch the US Open right now. There's been a a whole drama with one of the cable providers over here, and ESPN is, we hope, temporarily been removed from a lot of households in the US, which is a, a quite extraordinary situation. We, uh, fortunately, are not one of those households. It's on the telly in front of us. Daniel Medvedev is still going, but he is two sets to love and a break up on sensation Chris O'Connell. It's very odd seeing a sensation out of their natural habitat, isn't it? <laughs> they should only exist in Australia. Mm. Yeah, not not a whole lot of sensational stuff from uh, poor old Chris O'Connell tonight and uh, he did have the doctor out as well so maybe he's suffering but Medvedev was just called the surgeon yeah by the ESPN commentators which look it's not a nickname I've heard before I assume it's a reference to his two incredibly clinical performances thus far in the tournament I think he's probably assuming this third set proceeds as the rest of the match has done. He's 3-1 at the moment. His scorelines, I think, have been the most one-sided of anyone's, certainly in the men's tournament. Yeah. I I suppose it's some reference to the manner, as you say, in which he picks apart his opponents, generally speaking. But yeah, that was a new one on me, I I must admit. Yeah, not necessarily a a nickname we're going to pick up and run with. Rublev calls him the octopus, doesn't he? Okay, that's that's good. It's quite good, I think. Yeah. Because he's all, all arms and legs. Mm. Yeah, that makes that makes more sense to me. So Medvedev still going. That's on Armstrong earlier on on Armstrong. Daria Kazakina 
uh, fought out a three-set win over Sophia Kennan, who had added to her shoulder taping. She had monumental thigh strapping. It's it's a tough time for Sophia Kennan, who, like so many other players, seemingly just seems to accumulate injuries and can't get a, a straight run at things. We saw poor old Matteo Berrettini being wheelchaired off court earlier uh, against Arta Rindekanesh. She was trailing in the match. Um, it was a set down, but it was so, so tough to see. And further evidence that cursed players is a thing. Um, sad as that statement might be. Over on Arthur Ashe tonight, we've seen two pretty clinical performances. Carlos Alcaraz beating Lloyd Harris and what we've just watched, which is Jessica Bagula, for the most part, barring a couple of lapses in concentration in the first set, taking apart Patricia Maria Thieg. It was forceful stuff, I thought, from Jessica Bagula tonight. Yeah, she's so efficient, clinical, ruthless, but quietly so. She just, you don't, if you, if you look away for a bit and mess about on your phone, suddenly she's three love up and you've not really been sure how that's happened. Um, and there were, I think there were a few nervy moments for her early in the match. Just she was saying after it how she's still getting used to this, you know, night session match on the biggest tennis stadium in the world, and everybody's here to watch her. It's 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 quite new still. And uh, but she she still ended up with a very one sided scoreline, and I think that that says a lot about her. That there may not be that many frills about what she does. But she just gets the job done. And and I don't see that stopping anytime soon. Well, it's a fascinating next match that she's got, Alina Svitolina. They met just a few weeks ago in Washington. I remember watching that, and that was a real tussle. 6-4 in the third to Pagula. I think I would predict Pagula to win, but Svitolina has been so tough to beat at slams this year that... It's definitely going to be a whole different level of opponent for for Pagula in this tournament. I'd be very surprised if it's not incredibly closely contested that. Yeah. Svitolina. It's well, going to be such a different match to the two that Pagula's had so far. Exactly. Whereas Svitolina's, she's so in the groove of battles, mm. isn't she? That's... She's got that's her currency now. Similarly strong base to her game as Mm -hmm. Pegula has. They're they're probably quite similar, really. Um, And yet, both of them are looking to step up and impact an opponent now. Maybe in a way that, in Svitolina's case, she I don't remember her doing in the past. Mm, I I honestly can't wait for that match. You'd think night session Saturday, although I know at the weekend for ESPN, maybe ESPN's demands are less. less significant than they were 12 hours ago now they're on a lot fewer tvs in the u.s um but i know for espn day session at the weekends is actually a higher profile it's a a bigger deal than the night sessions that's when they get their their biggest viewers so and and i mean actually the day sessions this tournament really have been Maybe not necessarily the more high-profile matches, but certainly we haven't really had a great night session yet, other than Goff Siegmund. Goff Siegmund was it. And, was and last night, Wozniacki Kvitova was good. But it, yeah, 
the matches on Ash basically have been bad. Yeah, I mean, there hasn't been a they there hasn't, hasn't been a fourth or fifth set in any men's matches. They've all been straight. They sets. have not been competitive matches at all. And I know it's been you know that can be the case in the first week of slams yeah. where you're putting the stars on. You go with the names, um, and they're the seeds, and they're playing. You know, they could be playing the world number 150. You're going to get one-sided matches, but there've been a lot of very one-sided matches, and they could do with they could do with some thrillers, really, or some some vaguely dramatic matches. I'd certainly like to see that on the biggest stages. There's been plenty of good matches, but it does matter yeah. when they're on the biggest stages because that's what most people are watching yeah, I, again, I, or were watching until they lost ESPN. Oh, yeah. And if that's you, I'm so sorry. Um, it might be resolved God, it quickly. Such a bummer, isn't it? Um, but I, 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 my theory is that if you get a dodgy first week, you get an amazing second week of uh, these show court matches. So, okay, <laughs> not much behind that. Consider, but... that. consider that a David Law promise. Yeah, Medvedev is a tricky one, isn't he? Because he's looking so good. I'm just watching him here. He's doing, he's doing all the Medvedev stuff. Although he did just lose that point. Lovely serve and volley from Chris O'Connell. Um, you know, for his forehand looks good. He's hitting passing shots. He's finding angles that look completely improbable. But all due respect, he's not played anyone at all. It could be that he just runs into someone a couple of levels up and suddenly he's exposed for not being in the great form that that he's not been in all summer. I just don't know. Well... If he wins this, he would play Sebastian Baez next, who I think has won about 11 or 12 matches in a row. He won he won Winston-Salem last week, and that was off the back of winning Kitzbühel. Gosh, yes. So he, he, he's, he's on fire at the moment. So, you know, he's not in Medvedev's league, really, in terms of what they've done in their careers, but he'd be, he'd be full of confidence. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, because regardless of the opposition, winning does become a habit. Mm. Um, and, and and he's beaten you know some good players in that run as well. I should say Dominic Team, Borna Choric twice, Yuri Lehechka, Alexander Vukic, who's had a good summer. You know mm. Thomas Martin Echeverry, who we saw Stan Wawrinka beat today. You know so that that feels like Medvedev's first proper test in this tournament. Uh, Alcaraz was good tonight. That will shock nobody. <laughs> um, <laughs> six three six one, and then and then it's like he thought, "Oh man, I, there was a retirement in my previous match, and <laughs> I've only lost four games in this one. People are not getting their Alcaraz money's worth." So he gave them a little tie break, <laughs> a tie break set uh, for for the crowd and for Lloyd Harris, who absolutely played his part in taking that to a tie break set. He was. He was trying to Alcaraz Alcaraz, wasn't he? Which wasn't likely to work and didn't work, but was briefly fun. So it, well done. It's, it's a bit like when uh, when I saw a, a boxer in, in the early 90s just go out and try and knock Mike Tyson out with the first punch. And, uh, and that didn't work either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he tried something. He tried. There were a lot of fun rallies in this match, um, and then in the third set, Alcaraz was quite erratic. 
but didn't matter. He had a two-set lead and he still managed to, <laughs> to win the set anyway. And yeah, I, th- I think that was probably one of the more fun night session matches that there's been yeah. so far. Albeit never really much jeopardy. And no singing or dancing in the on-court interview afterwards. So we do, by the new standards by which we're judging things, feel a bit short-changed by <laughs> Carlos Alcaraz tonight. Please do better, Carlos. Right then, what have we got for you tomorrow? This is the schedule on day five of the US Open, of course, when singles third-round matches begin. It's Arthur Ashe Stadium for Tommy Paul, first up against Alejandro Davidovich Vikina. Then Wozniacki against Jennifer Brady. Night session, Elisa Mertens against Coco Goff. Then Laszlo Gerrett taking on Novak Djokovic. Over on Armstrong, we start with Karolina Mukova against Taylor Townsend. Then Iga Svantec against good friend Kai Yuvan and Adrian Manorino facing Francis Tiafo night session there uh gonna have to double check his first name Jakub Mensik I knew that Jakub Mensik god he's young mm, he was in a god, junior final scandalously young <laughs> how is he that young is he 17 if you're born 1st of September 2005 hang on he turns 18 tomorrow Yes. That's the right math, isn't it? On Feel free to do an edit here, Matt. On his 18th birthday, Jakub <laughs> Mensik, who, of whom I know much, uh, takes on Taylor Fritz, the American mm. ninth seed. He, wow. He, he was in the Australian Open junior final last year. So 2022. Right. Okay. Wow. When he would have been... 16 just <laughs> yes thank you um help with math maths is always welcome if anybody wants to chip in at that, any point elena rapakino against veronica Steyer. that is a is test i haven't seen this guy play but that is just the sort of match that taylor fritz has trouble with sometimes at these grand slams against people without much of a a name and reputation and he throws in a dud of a performance. He needs to not do that and just be highly efficient and professional. T- pressure's on Taylor Fritz now because regardless of who his matches are against from here until the last eight, he should be reaching that last eight. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Wong Jin Yu is the opposition for Anna Karolina Schmiedlover on grandstand tomorrow. Um She's a good player, Wong Jin Yu, but my association uh, with her is uh, of her being beaten love and love by Iga Svantec at the French Open. Look, fair enough, that can happen to anybody. But it was on the day when our mate Dave had tickets for Philippe Chatrier and there was a love and love and there had been a, a withdrawal, hadn't there? Basically, Dave's big dream birthday trip to Paris got rather decimated by unfortunate events on Philippe Chatrier. <laughs> Worse than and, that Arthur and his, 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 his commentary on events was, can you believe Wong Jin Yu had the audacity to wave to the crowd as she left the court <laughs> after losing love and love and giving us about 12 minutes of entertainment. Um, so look, she lost love and love to Svantec. It can happen. Uh, yeah, 
Anyway, uh, Anna Karolina Shmidova, the opposition for her. Ben Shelton, Aslan Karatsev, Dominic Stricker back in action against Benjamin Bonzi, Julin against Belinda Bencic, Ostapenko Pera is on court 17 tomorrow. Zhang Zhizhen against Rinki Hijikata, Borna Goyo against Yuri Vesely. Loads of doubles on tomorrow. Um, Jessica Begula is playing mixed doubles with Austin Krychek. She was just talking about that on the court, wasn't she? So, um, yeah, fun times. This third round action gets underway tomorrow. Oh, my goodness, Chris O'Connell is broken back. I was wondering when you'd notice that. (laughs) (laughs) God, are we going to have to do part three? He just hit a backhand list worthy backhand down the line. Right, folks. What we're going to do here is we're going to (laughs) do the usual stuff. We're going to do the shout outs. uh, But I will promise that if Chris O'Connell does something truly sensational, we will be back. afterwards okay (laughs) well we'll be back after i've told you about willow our lovely mascot for the us open about our mascots i've got xenia david is Maisie, and matt has darwin and nicholas jerry yes came in my guy for for matt and darwin people were sending me messages when he went one set down saying are you worried no you were a bit worried. You went you, out to watch. I just went out quote, to, to quote, see him get me the points. He did look a bit anxious, man. <laughs> you looked more worried than he did. <laughs> he had it under control. Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have top folks and executive producers. Should I say them in a different order this time? Yeah. Okay. Hannah, Drew, and Jamie. That's like it sounded all wrong. Didn't that's it? like when you give someone your phone number and they say it back to you in a different configuration. Yeah. It's like, is that right? I've no idea. You've yeah. ruined it. <laughs> that is exactly right. Jamie, Hannah, and Drew, thank you very much. You're all excellent, and we have shout-outs to probably, possibly end the show. <laughs> What does count as something sensational from here? Does he need to win? Yeah, if he, he takes to it to a fifth yeah. set tie break, we're, we're not coming, coming back. We're only coming back if he wins. Yeah. Okay. High standards here on the yeah. pod. Okay. Agreed. We start the shout-outs with Chloe in Suffolk. All right, Chloe. Hello, Chloe. What do we know about Chloe? But that is all we have for Chloe. And I don't know any tennis Chloes. Paquet. Paquet, Chloe Paquet. Yeah. French. French player. And Suffolk. <laughs> Where did you both pull that out of? Suffolk went on a very lovely family holiday in Suffolk when I was about five. And I think that might be one of my earliest, or four maybe, earliest earliest memory, I think. It was a very hot day at a place called Framlingham Castle. There we go. Wow. Look, well, look, you didn't give me anything else on Chloe, no. so I've had to pull something <laughs> Chloe out of the Chloe didn't give bag. you anything else. Don't drag me into this. <laughs> Stop criticising Chloe. Anyway, lo- <laughs> lovely place, Suffolk. Lovely place. Thank you very much, Chloe. <laughs> We've also got Blair Patterson, who's in Manchester. Oh, Blair. Hello, Blair. Like Blair Henley. Yes. He's doing the announcements and interviews here. We like Blair. Yeah, we like Blair. Blair's a listener. Hello to both Blairs. And this Blair is from Manchester? Yes. Previously had a pet mascot, Colin. Oh. A red fox Labrador. Yeah, I remember Colin. You don't forget a dog called Colin. A red fox Labrador? What would that look like? I'm trying to picture Is it not fox red Labrador? 
it may well be, but Blair has written Red Fox Labrador. It's a sort of dark, rustier than than um, golden. It's exactly as described. Red Fox Red. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Lovely, lovely dogs. Thank you, Blair. Thanks, Blair. And finally, we have Anne Fitzpatrick O'Rourke in Dublin. Hi, Anne. Hello, Anne. Anne says, I won my first tennis tournament while six months pregnant with my daughter, Amelia, who arrived in April 2023, just in time for the clay court season. The perfect little tennis buddy. That is awesome. Anne, Mm. you're a legend. I love that. Like Anne Jones. Yes. British player and Anne Kjothavong. Yeah. And my middle name. Hmm. Is it Anne with an E or without an E? It's with an E. Same church, different, different pew. pew. Yeah. yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. Thanks, they're all, Anne. They're all good Anne's, though. They're all they're all crackers. Thank you very much, Anne. Not so much thank you to Christopher O'Connell, <laughs> who's just held from fifteen forty down. Um, yeah, look, we're going to go and watch this the is... rest of. <laughs> this is unknown territory. <laughs> we're going to go and watch Exciting. that. Uh, you might. Hear from us in a split second's time. You might not. Let's sort of hope not. Um, but if you do, it means that something really exciting has happened. So could, could be a classic and, on the way. And if you don't, something pretty exciting may still have happened. He yeah, just hasn't won. We've just elected not to stay on. <laughs> we've the laid the ground rules. It. Yeah, boundaries are important, guys. They it's are. Twenty twenty three. Yeah, yeah. Right, folks. Uh, Might be back soon, probably not. Most likely speak to you tomorrow. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.